It's time for the Night Shift with Jack Johnson on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It's getting your dawn. Back with another edition of the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Beckett Rasmussen. Kyle Collier still back there walking in through some things, but we're only on two hours tonight. So it's not like we're going to be throwing the book at Beckett. Not a, a ton of stuff. Not a ton of stuff that we need to uh, teach new here. Uh, we'll always be joined by Joel Penfield. That's not going to change. He'll be sitting down with us from 7 to 8 to close out the show. Lots of Royals talk to get into. So since we've got a lot of baseball coming your way in about an hour, we are going to spend the majority of hour number one going over some NFL talk, maybe something a coach from the AFC West might have had to say. We'll be talking some college hoops. I know we've got a pretty big weekend lined up here, Kansas and Texas. We'll tip off in Lawrence at 5 p.m. You can listen to them right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Also, the Kansas State Wildcats now backs completely against the wall. We keep saying must-win, must-win game. Uh, We might be past that at this point. We might be past the must-win point for the Kansas State Wildcats. They lost back-to-back games last week, losing to TCU in Manhattan. Uh, Damn near at the buzzer. Jameer Nelson Jr., don't you feel old, uh, hitting a game winner in Manhattan. And then K-State... Uh, just shooting it as poor as they possibly could in Austin against the Longhorns, who didn't play much better. Seren Petro and I were watching that game down in Surprise, Arizona, and uh, very disgusted by the offensive performance in that game. It was it was ugly to watch, that's for sure. So we'll talk some college hoops here, maybe a little Mizzou talk. They uh, did play their tails off. I know we're not into the, the business of moral victories. They played well against Tennessee. They did. Only we don't hand out... Uh, Happy cards, I guess you should say. Uh, congratulatory cards for almost winning. And Dennis Gates surely doesn't think so. Uh, he didn't even want people to bleep out his F-bomb in the postgame presser. Uh, that is a guy that is going through it right now. Uh, Missouri Tigers team still searching for their first conference win. And it is February 22nd. I know it was more of a gap year. Tigers should have been better than this, though. So we'll talk some Mizzou, KUK State coming up in about 30 minutes or so. To kick off our two-hour show, our brief two-hour show of the night shift, I wanted to go back to something that was said on a podcast a few days ago. I know the NFL season has wrapped up. Right, The Chiefs won the Super Bowl for the third time in five years, the second straight year, first one to do that since the New England Patriots and the Dallas Cowboys before that and the San Francisco 49ers before that. But the Chiefs became that team to put themselves in a different stratosphere. Yet, as we seem to find out every single offseason, somebody's got to open their mouth. Somebody's got to say something that is going to be used as bulletin board material by either all of the Chiefs or just Patrick Mahomes alone. This time comes from a guy I have actually a lot of respect for, and this truly doesn't change what I think about the hire or him. But Antonio Pierce is going to have to stand by the words that he put out there to the entire world on a podcast. So we all know Antonio Pierce. He was the interim head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders. He did a damn good job at that. Uh, Raiders were far more competitive. They went into Arrowhead Stadium on Christmas Day and beat them, beat the Chiefs, I should say, without completing a pass for three quarters. Aiden O'Connell wasn't good. He wasn't special, but that defense was. That defense had two defensive touchdowns in like 10 seconds. 
It was one of the worst performances, if not the worst performance of the year for the Kansas City Chiefs. It was ugly. Absolutely ugly. But Antonio Pierce now believes he's got the blueprint. He's got the blueprint of beating the Kansas City Chiefs. Here is what he had to say on that podcast. We've got the Jordan rules, and we, we, I'm calling now from now on, as long as I'm here, the Patrick Mahomes rules. Mm-hmm. So you remember when Jordan was going through it with the Pistons, all those guys in the 80s before he came, Michael Jordan, Air Jordan, the Pistons used to whoop his <laughs> Anytime he came to the hole, elbows, Put filling them, love taps. We touched them. We in the head, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I'm touching you. Mm-hmm. So I showed those guys Jordan getting his whooped. So that was Antonio Pierce. I believe um, Beckett or Kyle, if you could help me out here, the name of that podcast. I know Max Crosby was on it. If you guys could find me that. I've been trying to scroll at the name of that podcast. I know Crosby. Love Max Crosby, by the way. I think his and and Patrick Mahomes' rivalry is fantastic. And he even said he was rooting for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl because he wanted to be the team. He wanted to be the guy that would dethrone them next year. He didn't want uh, the Niners to be that team to dethrone Kansas City. Max Crosby wants it to be the Raiders. So we all know that Antonio Pierce is about violence. Did you guys get it? What's the name of this podcast? The Rush. It's Max Crosby's podcast. The Rush. Okay, I assumed it was Crosby's. I couldn't quite find the name The Rush with Max Crosby. So he has his coach on Antonio Pierce. And what he said is actually... A badass type of quote, you know, the Jordan rules. Everybody remembers back then the bad boy Pistons just beating up on Jordan. Anytime he got close, you were going to beat up on him. And it was a little bit more complex than that. You know, I remember in that in the Last Dance documentary, they brought on, I don't know if it was Rodman that said it or it was Isaiah Thomas that said it or it was a coach and assistant for the Pistons, but it was more like a, a defensive schematic thing. It was like every time Jordan got the ball, we were going to force him to the elbow, and then we were going to force him to pass it out. I was like, no, it wasn't. Yeah, that might have been the very basic, complex rules of it, but it was to absolutely bludgeon him every time he got close to the rim so we'd have to get his points from the charity stripe. Those were the Jordan rules. Now, I think it's perfect if you're Antonio Pierce to resemble the Pistons. If you're the Raiders, everybody knows the Raiders are, are villainous. They love to lean into being the villains. Even when they were in Oakland, hasn't changed since coming over to Las Vegas. However, I don't know if this is the time to say we've got the blueprint after your rival just won their second straight Super Bowl in your own stadium. Now, it seems like a bad time to give the bulletin board material, to do what Buffalo does a lot and hang banners for regular season wins. To me, that's the last thing you want to do. Now, like I said, I'm not changing my opinion on Antonio Pierce. I think he's a great coach from what I've seen. I think he is easy to root for, and this is coming from a Kansas City sports radio station here. This is the Raiders coach. You don't root for the Raiders, as I would hope. Raiders fans don't root for anything Chiefs-related. This is a rivalry. You want it to be a rivalry. We've just seen this so often now, the bulletin board material. And even though Patrick Mahomes doesn't really talk about it publicly in the press conferences, he waits to the right time to bring this up. And I just go back and think, how do you think you have the blueprint when it took two really obscure things to happen, right? Two very obscure things had to happen for the Raiders to hang on and win that football game. The Chiefs 
fell behind, what was it, 13 nothing, 10 nothing? I think it was 13 nothing actually in Vegas. It was in that slump the Chiefs had midseason, and then the Chiefs blew the doors off the Raiders. It wasn't close in the end. And that was after 13 gifted points. Then you go to Arrowhead, it's Christmas Day. Chiefs play horribly. I think they had like one yard of offense going into the second quarter. It was terrible. But the only reason the Raiders won that football game was back-to-back defensive touchdowns. And if you want to be the defensive-minded coach, which he is, you say, well, you know, that's it right there. We're just going to score with our defense. We overwhelmed them. And I think that aside from those two defensive touchdowns, the Raiders' defense did a lot to slow down Kansas City. But the Raiders also never scored truly in that game. Like, that offense didn't really march down the field and score. And the Raiders have won twice, twice, against Patrick Mahomes. Two times. There's the COVID year, so half-capacity arrowhead. And then this game where there were two defensive touchdowns back-to-back. It was the weird fumble, and that was, I think, a little bit on Jawan Taylor and Donovan Smith and Patrick Mahomes for... Or no, I think it was actually a bad handoff, now that I think about it. It was a bad handoff. So that ball is fell on in the end zone. And then right after that, Jack Jones jumps the route on a terrible Patrick Mahomes throw that picks six. So 14 points in 10 seconds. It's not really a blueprint. And I'm going to go out there and say this. There is a team that has a blueprint on beating Kansas City. And it's Cincinnati. Cincinnati, right now is the only team in the NFL I can look at and say, yeah, they, they do have a blueprint. They've beaten them three times. That has to be taken into account here, even though the Chiefs have beaten them now back-to-back years. Beat them in the AFC title game in 2022, and then beat them uh, at Arrowhead Stadium on Christmas, or Christmas, or not, excuse me, I'm getting my words messed up here, New Year's Eve, not Christmas Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve, they beat Jake Browning at Arrowhead Stadium. So back-to-back times, the Chiefs have beaten the Bengals. However, with largely the same team, they went 3-0 in the first three meetings. Uh, That, to me, is a blueprint. That was a blueprint. Remember the drop eight we talked about all the time? You know, those first two meetings, the Bengals beat the Chiefs in Cincinnati and then beat them on their own turf in the AFC title game. They had that drop eight coverage. Use it in the second half against Kansas City's offense. It completely discombobulated them. That, to me, is a blueprint. That is how you beat Kansas City. But you know what you also need? An MVP type of quarterback in Joe Burrow. And I believe Burrow will likely win a few MVPs in his career, assuming he can stay healthy. Elite offensive core. Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon. You know, you had at tight end, it was Hayden Hurst. I think in one of those years. Before that, uh, I'm already blanking on his name. It was a while ago, but he went on to play for maybe Arizona or Baltimore towards ACL. If you guys can remember it, feel free to jump in whenever you want. That, to me, is a blueprint. What the Raiders did at Kansas City on Christmas Day was not a blueprint. And I wouldn't brag about having a blueprint when you didn't make the playoffs and that team went on to win the Super Bowl. The Raiders are not right now in the front of my mind as a team that can dethrone Kansas City. You got it, Beckett? Is it Tyler Eifert? Eifert's one of them. I'm thinking... C.J. Uzama. C.J. Uzama. That's it. C.J. Uzama. Okay, so C.J. Uzama was the guy you could throw into that Bengals core, the offensive weapons, even though we all know it was the three-headed dragon. 
I'm just out looking at the Raiders as a team that is a serious contender in the AFC, and that's now what I turn to. That's That should be the focus here in Kansas City. Who can prevent you from a three-peat? It ain't Antonio Pierce and the Raiders. They can get you. They can beat you. And they are going to get into a street fight with you. They are going to be a physical, violent football team, as he is instilled in that group, and I think it's a good thing. That's that's how you win over a locker room. I'm going to punch him in the mouth. That's what Antonio Pierce wants his team to do. And as he said, the Jordan rules. Now he's calling the Mahomes rule, or the Mahomes rules. Got to beat him up a little bit. You know, not doing anything dirty, not doing anything disgusting for the game, but making him uncomfortable. That's going to be the Raiders' way. I don't see that as a blueprint, though. I really, really don't. Um, I, I do strongly believe the team that eventually, and we know it's going to happen, the Chiefs are not going to win five Super Bowls in a row or six Super Bowls. Eventually, uh, somebody's going to get them. It ain't going to be a team like the Raiders. It'll be a team with an elite quarterback, pretty good defense, a good coach that won't piss down his leg in a big moment like John Harbaugh did with Baltimore. It's not going to happen. Uh, there's too much that has to go wrong for the Chiefs to win a game. Like It's not just beating them head-to-head. In fact, the few teams that have beaten them just head-to-head, it was a good game. You don't really think you shot yourself in the foot. The Bills have beaten the Chiefs in the regular season doing that, and the Bengals have, and I would say the Ravens one time have. Other than that, not many teams have just gone toe-to-toe and lost. It's usually taken two defensive touchdowns or a defense like the Chiefs had and with Bob Sutton that would give up 35 a game. You know, there was always something. Now, I like the confidence. I do. I really do enjoy the confidence of Antonio Pierce. You know, this idea of we're going to be a violent football team. We are going to be a physical football team. We're going to beat up on Patrick Mahomes. Now, I also want to bring this up, because this happened with Brady as well, and there's already a chunk of NFL fans that believe this to be the case. Star quarterbacks are what make this league. They're what drive ratings, quarterback matchups. People were far more excited about Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen than they ever were for Patrick and Tua or Patrick and Purdy. It was not the same. It is driven by quarterback ratings. And maybe you think, if you're a conspiracy theorist, that those top quarterbacks get the flag. If they are beaten up on, unnecessary roughness, late hit. You know, that was the difference back then with the bad boy Pistons. The bad boy Pistons, they'd get their technical fouls, they'd get their flagrant ones, their flagrant twos, maybe some ejections along the way. Not sure it's the best thing in the world to you know, piss off Patrick Mahomes with a late hit or unnecessary roughness and get 15 added yards on that. See, that's the difference, too. There are going to be a lot of people out there, more so anti-Chiefs fans, haters of the Chiefs, that think you know Patrick Mahomes is a whiner. You know, I think in that Buffalo game when he was screaming at the officials, that gave a lot of the, the anti-Mahomes people the ammo to say, oh, yeah, he is a whiner, and he whines to get calls. And when he doesn't get calls, you know, he is. He's going to explode. He's going to erupt. He's going to get in an official's face. And that's what bugged a lot of people. Brady did a lot of the same things, and it's what irritated a lot of people about Brady. He'd complain when he didn't get the call. He'd get upset if there wasn't a pass interference. He'd get upset if there was a late hit and wasn't 
it doesn't call it. This doesn't feel like that great of a blueprint. If you think that giving Patrick Mahomes bulletin board material and hitting him late and, and being very physical is going to do it, it's not. It's really, really not. I've always thought the the misconception with a lot of these up-and-coming teams and what we saw all year long, right, in the playoffs as well, Miami, Buffalo, Baltimore, San Francisco, all of them talk trash and said all these things while the Chiefs in years past would mouth off back. Uh, they would seriously mouth off. The last time I remember the Chiefs mouthing off was when Justin Reed did it before that Cincinnati game, and they lost. It was last year, not this past year. It was the year before that. It's the last time I remember the Chiefs really sounding off and talking a bunch of crap before the game. Because you don't want to give the other team bulletin board material. You don't want to give them extra fuel. And the Chiefs kind of let everybody else do the talking. And I get it. Antonio Pierce is a confident guy. He's a confident coach. He's trying to win over his team and going on uh, maybe his best players or at least his best defensive players podcast and saying stuff like this. How can you not get fired up in hearing that? We're going to implement the Mahomes rules. That's our blueprint. We're going to beat him with that. And we're, you know, we've, we've got a W under our belt. Antonio Pierce is 1-0 against the Kansas City Chiefs. That same Chiefs team went on to win a Super Bowl. And, and here's the, the funny thing is that maybe next year Antonio Pierce does beat the Chiefs. Maybe the, the first go-around, they beat Kansas City. I think at this point, now it'll be seven years into the Patrick Mahomes era, regular season games really don't matter. Now, you may take it and say, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. you got to win. Of course we all know that. You think anybody's scared about the Chiefs not making the playoffs next year? Come on now. The Chiefs are going to make the playoffs. I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to win 14 or 15. What I'm getting at was saying that the regular season doesn't matter is look what the Chiefs did this regular season. They were constantly tinkering with things. They were trying to fix those issues. They used some games to, to try out different things. Of course they're always trying to win. I'm not saying they were mailing it in, and, and they sure as hell won't mail it in next year. But that's the thing. They don't get caught up and hung up on regular season games as the way other teams trying to prove themselves may. Now, Buffalo now for three straight years has made a big deal about winning in the regular season. That was massive for them. That was huge. And like the Patriots would do for years, the Chiefs did the same. Okay, uh, yeah, that's not good. We're never going to make an excuse for a loss, but we know where we need to go from here. And I criticize Andy Reid for constantly saying we need to clean things up. I'm like, well, then show it. Show that you're cleaning things up. And by God, he did. He won another Super Bowl. So he knew what he was doing. And that's why, you know, this type of situation, when I go back to it at the, the meat of all this, yeah, Antonio Pierce could beat the Chiefs. The Raiders could beat the Chiefs. I didn't think they could do it last year. They did. I still think they need a quarterback. But regular season losses are not things I'm going to get caught up on. Do I sit here today and say the Raiders are going to be a serious contender in the AFC? I don't. I don't. Not until they get a quarterback. This is a quarterback-driven league. You are not going to make it far if you are just piecing it together with an average quarterback. And if you don't believe me, let's just go over real quick every team in the NFL, and you can tell me. This is where we'll bring you in, Beckett. You tell me. If this team has an elite quarterback, or at least they believe they have an elite quarterback here. We don't need to do Kansas City. We all know Patrick Mahomes is an elite quarterback and 
people think he is as well. He is, and people are always going to say he's an elite quarterback. But you go, let's start off in the AFC East here. You know, Buffalo, elite elite quarterback, Josh Allen. Miami, would you say two is elite? I, I think he's bottom elite, but I think he's... he's bottom elite, enough. a tier yeah. two. Yeah, I could agree with you there. A tier two there. Made the playoffs. Okay, the Jets. Maybe if Rodgers is healthy. If Rodgers is healthy, and that'll be kind of a question mark. But the Jets this year, 7-10, and 10, didn't make it. New England. No. Yeah, don't have one, didn't make the playoffs. Uh, you go to the AFC West. All right, Raiders. No. No, Aiden O'Connell, 8-9, and nine, didn't make it. Denver with Russ. Uh, he hasn't been recently. Hasn't been recently. Eight and nine didn't make the playoffs. So at best, we're saying mediocre. Uh, even this, for example, the Chargers. I'm a huge Herbert guy. I am too. I, I don't think it's his fault. Uh, it's not. But five and twelve. Five and twelve. You go to the AFC North. Baltimore. Huge. Uh, elite quarterback Lamar Jackson made the playoffs. Uh, this can be the exception here. These next two teams, but Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Ah. I mean, no. No. I, I would say no, though. They had Mason Rudolph and Joe Flacco starting. So they did sneak in, but what happened? Bounced immediately and got smoked immediately. Cincinnati, Joe Burrow wasn't healthy. We'll give them a pass here. You go to the AFC South. Okay. CJ Stroud elite? Uh, I think he's got to do it one more year. One more year, but uh, for the most part, I'd say above average. He got to an AFC divisional round. He world won ended, a playoff yeah, game. World ended today. He's elite. Yeah. Uh, Won a playoff game. You go to Jacksonville. Is Trevor Lawrence elite? He's a fringe guy. He's like Tua. Fringe. Uh, didn't make the playoffs. Uh, Indianapolis. No. Okay, yeah. They, Anthony Richardson is too young. Gardner Minshew didn't make the playoffs. Tennessee. No way. Okay, so Tennessee. Not a good quarterback. They went 6-11. and 11. I go to the NFC side of things. Okay, Dak Prescott. Oof. Um, I'd say yes, but, I mean, he's like, I think he's below Tua. Okay, uh, I, I can give you that. I, I like Dak Prescott a little bit more than people think. I believe that he gets a lot of criticism because he's just the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. But you look at Dallas here, uh, they get bounced immediately. So a guy that couldn't take them to the next level, a good quarterback. Uh, Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. Yes. Okay, elite, but they got bounced immediately, and there were a lot of other issues going on here. The Giants? No. No, 6-11 and 11 didn't make it. Washington? No. 4-13 and 13 didn't make it. You go to the West. Reigning champions of the NFC, Brock Purdy. I go back and forth. I'll give it to him. He had a mm-hmm. great year. Okay, I can say uh, kind of bottom-tier elite. Uh, I would say he's kind of on that cusp, like we said with, uh, who was it earlier on? Um, we kind of put him right there in the, the mediocre category. I think it was Tua. I yeah, think Tua. I could put Purdy and Tua pretty yeah. interchangeable there. But there was so much around Brock Purdy. Nine's really good. The Rams with Matt Stafford. I think Stafford's still elite. Okay, I, I can give you that there. They made the playoffs. Okay, they made the playoffs. Seattle, Geno. No. Okay, nine and eight. Arizona with Kyler. Uh, no, they showed flashes, but he's coming back from an injury. Four and 13. You go to the north, Detroit and Jared Goff. Ooh, I, I, you give it to Jared. Okay, you give it to Jared. Uh, NFC Championship game. Uh, Green Bay with Jordan Love. A little less than, than uh, Stroud. Okay, so again, NFC divisional game. You go to Minnesota. Mm, no. Okay, seven and ten didn't make it. Chicago with Justin Fields. No way. Seven and ten didn't make it. Uh, South Baker Mayfield. I love him, but I I can't put him in elite. Okay, even if he's not elite, uh, mediocre quarterback, did make it, didn't go far. And you go to New Orleans with Derek Carr. No. Nine and eight didn't make it. Atlanta with Desmond Ritter. No. Seven ten didn't make it. Don't even need to ask you on Carolina. <laughs> so the point I'm getting at, after all that rambling, me and Beckett going back and forth. The fact of the matter is, you either have to have an elite quarterback to go far in the playoffs, 
elite quarterback, or you have to have a ridiculous supporting cast. And I mean a ridiculous supporting cast. You know, I go to the AFC Championship game. MVP winner, Patrick Mahomes. That's the status in the AFC. Those divisional round games, Stroud, as we talked about, you know, on the cusp of being elite, and then Allen, elite. That was the AFC side, where the Raiders also habitate right now. The NFC, you know, Goff and Purdy. Good quarterbacks on getting near the elite side. I wouldn't put them in the top of the top with, you know, Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, and Jackson. I'm not going that far, but they're good quarterbacks. Elite supporting cast. Detroit had one. San Fran had one. I go to the NFC Divisional Round games. You know, I think the exception was like Tampa and Baker. And I got to give Baker credit for beating the tar out of Philadelphia. But again, it's it's so hard now in this league, going back to the Raiders here, tying this all in with a perfect ribbon. You can't have a blueprint for beating an elite team if you don't have one yourself or a ridiculous supporting cast. The Raiders don't have either, and they don't have really a plan for their quarterback. If you roll back with Aiden O'Connell, I promise you they're not making the playoffs. I promise you. It's not going to happen. And then the funny thing about it, uh, they could go out there and they could try to trade for a quarterback. I'm not sure really who would make a ton of sense. You could say Kirk Cousins. I don't know if they have the money right now at this point to go trade and afford a Kirk Cousins. You know, his uh, AAV last year is $35 million. Does Ryan Tannehill make them better? I would say no, right? So I don't think that's that much of an upgrade over Aiden O'Connell. Is that going to put you in a category where you are competing among the best in the AFC? Jacoby Brissett, no. Trubisky, no. Tyrod Taylor, no. Mariota already had him. Sam Darnold, no. Drew Locke, no. Baker, no. Gardner Minshew, no. Teddy Bridgewater, he's a coach, by the way. He's a free agent, but he's a coach now for a high school. Joe Flacco, no. Josh Dobbs, cool story, but no. I, I go down this list, Beckett, and I don't see one. I You'd have to trade for one, and then I could take you seriously. But here's also the problem. I tried to take the Raiders seriously when they acquired Devontae Adams. When they acquired Devontae Adams, I actually said, that could be scary. That could be scary because I really like their defensive line. I thought they'd added a couple of key pieces. I, I was starting to, I was beginning to believe a bit in their secondary. It was growing on me. And the offense, I'm like, Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, you know, Devontae Adams, and Derek Carr. I've seen Derek Carr play well, not often, but from time to time. And they were not good. And that's where I look at, at the rest of the teams in the NFL. I, I can, I can see teams with average quarterback play go 10 and 7 or 11 and 6. Think Cleveland. Love Joe Flacco. Great story. There's a reason they lost by 31 in the playoffs. There's a great defense led by that defense, but too many quarterback injuries. Pittsburgh. Amazing coach. Love Mike Tomlin. No, he's one of the best to do it. Pittsburgh never has a quarterback. Hasn't had a quarterback since Big Ben. I, should, I shouldn't have said never, because for years Big Ben was dominating uh, you know, the AFC North. But since Big Ben retired, and really I can include that last year of Big Ben, they haven't been that good. They're not threatening because the quarterback play. I go back to the AFC wildcard game against Miami. Now the weather absolutely played a big factor, but I never feared Miami, because I knew Tua was limited. I didn't fear San Francisco in the same way I feared Baltimore. Because I just knew that Brock Purdy was was not 
a guy that could take you to the next level. It had to be very scripted. What he was doing had to be scripted. And that's where I look at the Raiders. I love the coach. And like I said, from the very beginning, this does not change the way I feel about Antonio Pearson. It does not change the way I think about the hiring. I just feel like when you are trying to go into year one, you don't want to give the best team in the NFL bulleted board material to take you very, very seriously when you play. I think for a while, the Chiefs looked at the Raiders and said, we beat them by 20 to 25 every single time. But then this year, the Chiefs get upended by Denver and the Raiders. Two streaks. Now, the Raiders, not so long. I mean, it was a couple of years, three years. The Broncos hadn't won since 2015. But both those teams now win. There's a reason you're not seeing the Chargers give too much bulleted board material now or Denver you know, too much bulleted board material. And for the Chiefs, even if they do, they've got the, you know, the Uno card here. Or the Trump card, I should say. You have a ring. You have three rings now. So for Antonio Pierce, if it's to fire up his players, if they, they like that and that makes him want to play for him even more, all more power to him. I just think we've seen this so many times now. It's like you see these these teams or even these analysts that are like, they've got the blueprint. They know how to beat Kansas City, and it's not. You know, people said it was going to be Buffalo. They got the blueprint. Now, Cincinnati, they do have the blueprint. I will say, I will stand by that. The Bengals have enough wins against Mahomes to have a blueprint. Nobody else does. Buffalo, yes, I think to an extent, but they haven't beaten them in the playoffs. 0-3 in the playoffs. That, to me, is not a solid blueprint. It's not. You can win in the regular season. That's what I go back to with the Raiders. Now, the Raiders could beat the Chiefs in the regular season. It wouldn't it'll put my jaw on the floor. I'd be surprised if Aiden O'Connell won twice against Patrick Mahomes, but I've also seen Jacoby Brissett beat Patrick Mahomes. It's it's not always as as easy as you think it is. It's the NFL. The NFL's hard to win. You know, it, at the end of the day, you're going to have those bad games, and I think Patrick Mahomes had an all-time bad game. That receiving core had an all-time bad game. And even the defense, you know, they did all they could, but the offense gave up 14 in that game. To summarize this, I know I said let's tie a ribbon on it and then rambled on for five more minutes, but to summarize it, you can't beat Kansas City in a serious game. And when I mean serious, I mean playoffs late in January, it's cold, you can't beat them with bad quarterback play, mediocre quarterback play. They'll get you eventually. They, you could, you know, you could nip them in the regular season. You're not beating a Kansas City team in the playoffs right now with a mediocre quarterback. So if Antonio Pierce has the blueprint, and it means getting two defensive touchdowns in 10 seconds every time he plays the Chiefs, well, I'll be pretty impressed if they can do that uh, here on out. If they can do that twice next year, I will be very, very impressed. But I still like him a lot. I love the hire. I love the passion he has. I just think it's kind of funny at this point. It's just copy-paste every single year. Somebody's got something to say, and there's that bulletin board material. All right, we'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, some college hoops talk. we got to preview some games for KU, K-State, and Missouri. That's next to the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We are back here on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Beckett Rasmussen. Now, Beckett, uh, this is the first time you running the board uh, for this show tonight. Uh, Kyle doing a great job helping you out back there. Uh, before we dive into some college hoops, uh, you've already jumped in a little bit, so you got gotten your feet wet uh, talking over the airwaves. I'm sure you've done it before. Uh, but just maybe for our listeners out here, give a little bit of a background on yourself, you know, your 
your background in sports, the teams you like, you know, what you enjoy about all this. I'm giving you the floor. Uh, I just graduated from Rockhurst University. Okay. I played baseball there. So nice. Naturally, huge baseball guy. Love it. Um, can't complain about football either. Um, in terms of schools, uh, I'm Emaw. Big K-State guy. Big K-State guy. So a little upset about, you know, where the team's going thus far. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll rally back. We'll rally back. Big 12 is, is tough this year. It is. It is quite the monster of a conference. And we'll we'll kick it off here with the K-State Wildcats. They lost back-to-back games last week, a crushing one to TCU. I thought, you know, man, great defense on the final possession. I know it's been a ways since uh, that TCU game. We're coming up on a week now. But I looked at that game going into it and said, if they can just grab that one against TCU, it takes a little bit of pressure off that game in Austin. And there's a lot more to gain in Austin. You didn't want to go into that game against UT of, boy, now we've now we've got 10 losses on the year. This is an unranked Texas team. We're not going to be favored in the game, but you can't lose to an unranked team this late in the season. It doesn't matter if it's Texas. It doesn't matter if it's an Oklahoma team. And for the Longhorns, uh, that was a team that I wasn't that high on, but it's also tough to win there. For TCU, it was in your own house. I felt like there was a lot of juice and bramwich in that game. And even though there was a point in time I thought TCU was going to pull away, here come the Cats. You know, Tyler Perry started to hit some big-time shots. Uh, you didn't get uh, the best of performances uh, from a handful of your guards in Arthur Kaluma and Cam Carter. I think that was the difference in the game. I mean, Tyler Perry led them with 24. I thought David Gasson was fantastic off the bench. He's been fantastic off the bench. But we know about overtime. We know about this Kansas State team once they get teams to overtime. You can't beat them. And I almost think it was all those games in the beginning where K-State would tie it up with a big shot you know, I remember it was North Alabama, it was Oral Roberts, I think Villanova uh, came close to going in overtime. I think Tyler Perry had a big shot before the end of regulation. Uh, a lot of times, Kansas, uh, they went into overtime with Kansas. There were so many times that either their opposing team didn't get a good look or they might not have even gotten a shot off. And the funny part about this was TCU didn't get a good look. Jameer Nelson Jr. did not have a good look in that situation. And he shot it almost like a pass, like an overhead pass, and and just drained it. And that, to me, was like, man, all those times where, where K-State had the big shot. You know, the one that was like, no way, that shot's going in. Arthur Kaluma had that four-point, you know, play. Ah, oh, man, I'm already blanking on who that was against. I think going back now for their home games, while I'm doing this on the fly, it was Baylor, wasn't it? I think it was Baylor with the four-point play for Arthur Kaluma. Crazy thing is, since that Baylor game, they've only won twice. Now, they beat Oklahoma State. That came down to the wire. And they beat KU, who was number four in the nation at the time. This is the problem, though, that a lot of teams, that the fringe teams of the Big 12 run into, is those losses like TCU or those losses like the one they had against Iowa State where there was a lot of drama in it. There were the spies behind the bench or the talk of the spies behind the bench. Those one-loss those one losses, they turn into two, three, or four. And last year, while I was so damn impressed by Jerome Tang's squad, they could go on the road and they could smack around a Baylor team. They smacked around Texas last year. That was the hilarious thing. K-State got 56 points on Big Monday. They had like a 114 last year in regulation. It was absurd. It's a totally different team. And there were more pure scores on that team with 
you know, Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel and Desi Sills and Naquan Tomlin. This year's bunch, I like some of the scores they have. I, I don't believe in Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCat.com, who we have on the show a handful of times, more than a handful. We have him on almost every single week. He said one of the reasons that Tyler Perry struggled from time to time is he's not a true point guard. That's what people have misconception with. He was a two guard. He was a combo guard in North Texas. So there is no true point guard like a Marquise Noel, which may make it harder on a lot of the guys for this team, a lot of the, the two guards, a lot of the three guards. Because Tyler Perry is a scorer. He's not a facilitator. He is a scorer, and he's the number one point guard. And you'll see when this offense stagnates a bit, when it does struggle, you have games like Monday. You have games like the one you had against Oklahoma on January 30th. You have those games like the one against Oklahoma State. You just don't have that bucket getter. I I thought Arthur Kaluma was going to be the bucket getter for this Kansas State team. Now, fortunately for them, it's it's not dead yet. NCAA tournament hopes are slipping away, but it's not dead yet. They've got three really, really tough games to close out the year. And even though I've said, you know, must win, must win, must win, and I really hate that saying because uh, I feel like it can be overused, and I, I I feel like myself I've overused the term must-win game. I said BYU was a must-win game because you didn't want the momentum of beating Kansas to slip away. I said TCU was a must-win game. They didn't win it. Then I said if they don't beat TCU, the must-win game becomes Texas. So I'm not going to say... BYU is a must-win game. I'm not going to do it. It would be a great win and snap this three-game slide and become their second win in the month of February. West Virginia isn't going to do much for you. But we even discussed this with Ryan Gilbert. You know, There wasn't much wiggle room in those final seven games. He said you had to win out at home and then hopefully grab one of those road games. The problem is, in those last three you got to go to Cincinnati. I understand that Cincinnati uh, is coming off a loss to Oklahoma State in their own house. But Cincinnati's now a team that's fighting for an NCAA tournament berth, so it's not going to be a throwaway game for them. Then you get Kansas on senior night, and they've got some ridiculous record on senior night. They haven't lost in decades. And also, K-State hasn't beaten Kansas and Lawrence since 2006. Then you wrap up the season against one of the best teams in the Big 12 in Iowa State. So those final three... Whereas it could have been, grab one. Grab one of those games. Now you almost look at it and say, K-State has to win four of the final five. You know, I think K-State going four and one over the last five here. You take down BYU. You take down West Virginia, Cincinnati. You give the loss against Kansas. And then you beat Iowa State at home. Four and one. Puts you at 19 and 12. At that point, you are going to need to win, I think, at least two. You would need two in the Big 12 tournament. Of course, you'd love to win it, but we all know we talked about the conference and what a monster that it is. I think if you win two to put yourself at 21 and 13, it at least puts you on the bubble. Might be the last four in. Yeah. I would almost have to say that would be better is like beating a BYU, Kansas, and Iowa State and West Virginia than losing to Cincinnati because at least then you'd have three ranked wins to close out your regular season. That, to me, would give you more of a resume because that's the unfortunate part right now 
K-State doesn't have the biggest of resumes. They've beaten KU and Baylor. That's huge. But other than that, Providence is the third best win. Um, maybe I thought at one point in time that Villanova win would look good. It hasn't. Villanova might not make the NCAA tournament. And even Ryan Gilbert told us this last time he was on. Now that USC loss, where at one time was a top 25 loss, that USC loss looks terrible. Now it was week one, but that those losses come back to bite you. You know, USC at this point in the season, you know, I think they've climbed up to, to 13, 14, even 15 losses. If my Yahoo app would load here, which of course it's not going to, I'd be able to tell you that. But this is where it comes back to you. You need more quad one wins. And where I've kept trying to dissect this and find loopholes and ways that this could make sense for K-State, time is simply running out. What I can tell you with confidence and full-on confidence, they can't lose two in the final five. Even if they go three and two, they they can't get in with 14 losses. There's no way. There's not a seed that would be available or attainable for K-State, even if they were you know 20 and 14. You know, if they lose to KU and Iowa State, which they're not going to be favored in those games, I don't think they can get in. That's the unfortunate part of losing to TCU at home, losing to Texas on the road. And then you go back to games like Oklahoma State, losing in Stillwater. That stings. That stings a lot. Losing to Oklahoma by 20 is not the best of looks when Oklahoma's going to be unranked. In fact, I think they will be unranked by Monday. You know, I don't even need to, to bring up, you know, barely beating some teams like a Chicago State. Or, it doesn't matter. A win is a win. They're not going to judge, oh, you almost lost. It, it doesn't factor in here. What matters is those tight games. Man, I, I even go back to that Tech game. That Tech game stings a lot, a lot, a lot. Because that, that Red Raider team bludgeoned Kansas by 30. You grabbed that one in Lubbock, you would have been 3-0. and in fact, then you go to the next two. I mean, K-State was 4-1 and one at one point in conference play. They've won one game since. And I know Jerome Tang's you know, uh, mark was nine wins. You get to nine wins, you feel good in Big 12 play. And I like Jerome Tang a lot as a coach, and I think that you should still have faith that something can happen, right? Beckett, you said, I'm still riding with them, right? I still think there's a chance, and I don't think anybody should really rule it out until your team is eliminated in the Big 12 tournament and you have too many losses. Like, you win the Big 12 tournament, you get into the NCAA tournament. It's that auto bid. But regular season-wise, it was all about making sure the Big 12 tournament wasn't a dire need. It wasn't needing to beat a, a Kansas and Houston and Texas Tech all in three days, which is just its very hard for anybody. Like, it wouldn't shock me if somebody like a Texas Tech or a Baylor won it because you get the wrong side of the bracket and you're going through a gauntlet. And right now... K-State's one of those teams that have to play on the first day of the tournament. That's how tough the Big 12 is. To wrap it up with K-State, this is not a failure of a season. They had to deal with the Naquan Tomlin situation. Quez Glover, who was going to get a lot of minutes, has not been healthy all year long. The development of the freshman and day-to-day aims, you know, Buddy Rich, hasn't been the best. Or Jarrell Colbert? Good minutes, but not where you need them at right now for a team that's going to get into the NCAA tournament. Those were two tough losses. They were stingers in these last two games. You get a good opportunity, and I think a fun opportunity, this coming Saturday against BYU, a team you just saw in Provo. And I always say this, when you have to play a team twice in at minimum two weeks, it's tough to go 2-0. 
Like I think the odds can be stacked against uh, BYU here, and it's a great opportunity for K-State to get some form of momentum because you grab this one, not going to say mark it down of a win against West Virginia, but West Virginia's got nine wins. They're the only team in the Big 12 with single digits. So you get to 17-11, and 11, things start to open up a little bit more. Then you go to Cincinnati, and then Kansas, and then you finish up with Iowa State. Got to go 4-1. and one. I think you get one more buffer loss to give yourself a fighting chance into the Big 12 tournament. As for the Kansas Jayhawks, they got uh, back up on the horse after that ass-kicking they took at the hands of the Red Raiders and Lubbock. Uh, they get Kevin McCuller back, not going to say healthy. And we had this discussion, Kyle and I had this discussion about what they should do with somebody like Kevin McCuller, who they need healthy for the NCAA tournament. At this point, that's what matters. Now, KU needs to win out, I think, to even get a share and needs a couple other things to happen to Houston and Iowa State. It doesn't seem likely to me at this point. The most important thing is health. And, oh, by the way, Bill Self said today to media reporters that Kevin McCuller hasn't practiced this week, and he doesn't know his availability for Saturday, in which they'll be taking on the Texas Longhorns. Now I am all gung-ho and just don't play Kevin McCuller for the rest of the regular season. I'm sorry. If he is going to play against Oklahoma, play okay. I didn't think it was that special. But then hurt himself more, you're just going back into a cycle. You're sputtering in the mud, if you will, and you don't want that. You don't want that if you're a Kansas fan. Does Kansas beat UT without Kevin McCuller on Saturday? I would say probably. Do they beat BYU without Kevin McCuller? Probably. Both those games are at home, and it's tough to win at Allen Fieldhouse. Do they win at Baylor? No. Do they win against Kansas State at home? Uh, probably. I mean, the odds would tell you that was senior night and K-State's record in the last, you know, coming up on 20 years at Allen Fieldhouse. The odds would tell you they should be just fine in that game, but Baylor and Houston, two teams they're absolutely going to need to win against, they can't win without Kevin McCuller. But does it really matter if a Big 12 title is is truly a long shot? I'll tell you this. I don't like the idea of just playing Kevin McCuller off and on because then it comes down to inconsistency. He plays one week, he doesn't play the next. He plays two games in a row, then he sits two games. You you can't have that because what you need in the NCAA tournament is a guy that can give you you know, great minutes in two games in two days. Right now, you can't count on that from Kevin McCuller. He's not healthy enough. And that is becoming alarming. I actually talked with Matt Tate a few weeks back on ESPN Wichita, and I said, you know, how concerning is this? It's a bone bruise I think they're categorizing at it as. Matt Tate said it can be concerning. It can be one of those injuries that lingers, and it doesn't really get better unless you just completely stay off it and you rest it. The problem is they're resting it, and then when he plays on it, it immediately goes back to square one, it feels like. I mean, if Kevin McCuller hasn't gotten any work in this week, that's very concerning to me. And he played a good amount of minutes against Oklahoma, and I remember Bill Self saying that... This is a guy that didn't really have any limitations minutes-wise. No limits minute-wise, and then he comes back a few days later and he can't practice? Well, then what's going on at this point? How do you handle somebody like that? I mean, if he's not 100%, then you can't play him 30, 35 minutes a game. You can only play him like 15 
And if you're only playing Kevin McCuller 15 minutes, then why play him at all right now? I'm just saying the goal should not be win a Big 12 championship, and that is the goal. Yeah, it's great. It is great. But I also can tell you this. There's a lot of Kansas teams that won the Big 12 outright in a gauntlet of a conference and didn't make it far in the NCAA tournament, and I I don't really remember the Big 12 champion that year. I don't remember who they beat. I don't remember who finished second. I remember the years they won the national title, and I know that's very narrow-minded because a lot of really good teams aren't going to win at all. There's only one that gets to do that. But I would say the goal, after looking at what happened last year, you wore down. Guys were banged up. The bench was not giving you much relief, which, surprise, surprise, same thing's happening this year. You need guys to be healthy. And, yes, winning at Oklahoma was huge. And KU is still trying to get that number one seed because that's the that's the difficult part about this. Yeah, the Big 12 title shouldn't be the end-all uh, the, the end goal here. It shouldn't be what you're striving for. What you should be striving for is a national title. And the way you get a national title, you got to get a good draw in the bracket. And you hopefully can get a one seed. It's not likely you get a one seed if you don't win the Big 12. In fact, it's impossible to get a one seed if you don't win the Big 12. I just don't know even if they're a one seed, they go far if Kevin McCullers dealing with stuff like this. You play one game, you can't practice, then you don't play on Saturday. I mean, KU's going to have that quick turnaround of a Saturday game and then a Tuesday game. You know, the crappy part about this is this was supposed to be the most rest they got. They played OU on Saturday, full week off, and then you get Texas at home. And then the reports come out he hasn't practiced. So to me, it comes down to rest him until he is 100% and there can't be a setback. Or if there is always going to be some form of setback, well, at least you know try to get him as close to 100% as you can before the NCAA tournament. This team can't go far. I don't know if they get to the second weekend without Kevin McCuller. We saw what this team looked like against Texas Tech without Kevin McCuller. You need him at close to 100% for his defense, for his slashing abilities offensively. You need that. You have to have it. And it's alarming. That, that's what I will say. Now, Kansas has to be feeling pretty good. They're 20-6. and six. Should be able to grab these next two, even without Kevin McCuller, just because you're in Lawrence and this team plays a lot different at home as opposed to on the road. We all get that. And then you're 22-6 and six before taking on Baylor on a weekend thriller down in Waco. If you can get Kevin McCuller healthy for that and you start thinking that a Big 12 title and the number one seed creeps back in, then all right, let's test the knee. Right now, though, this is this is becoming frustrating, I think, for everybody involved. You play one game, you play a lot of minutes, and then he can't practice. Well, if there was no limit on his minutes for Saturday, then I thought that'd be, he's good to go. That the swelling may go down. Clearly, though, it's become a reoccurring issue, and that is going to be something to watch going into Saturday's game against Texas. You can listen to that game right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And lastly, before we hit our final break of the show, the Missouri Tigers. Whoo, this is bad. This is really, really bad, even for a team that didn't have high expectation. And any time in football or basketball you are looking up at Vanderbilt, 
you are looking north toward Vanderbilt, it ain't good. And oh, by the way, Missouri's lost to Vanderbilt. I don't think I need to tell you Tiger fans about that. 0-13, 8-18 overall. They have two less conference wins than Vandy. And then you look at their remaining schedule, back-to-back road games here. Ole Miss, who right now is projected to be a last-four team in for the NCAA tournament. Auburn, who's top 15, and then you have to go to Baton Rouge to close out the year. Take on LSU, who knocked off Kentucky last night. Five games left. Arkansas, by the way, just had a big win against Texas A&M. I don't think the Razorbacks are getting in, but they're playing better at this point in the season. Florida's top 25, Ole Miss is a tournament team, Auburn's a tournament team, and LSU just beat a ranked Kentucky team. I do not know how you go into the offseason if you finish 0-18 in conference play and and be able to tell everybody, hey, it's going to be okay, it's going to be fine. I still have trust in Dennis Gates. You know, I I thought it was going to be a bit of a step back in year two, but this is to a max extent here. This is bad. Uh, and I know they played their tails off against Tennessee, a team that was top five in the nation. But even Dennis Gates would tell you it we're effing terrible at those things right now. I believe it was to at getting to the free throw line, drawing contact, being able to give yourself easy points, effing terrible at it. I mean, I, my jaw hits the floor when you look at the fact that Missouri has not won a Power 5 game since Pittsburgh, am I right? Pittsburgh classifies the Power 5 team. Wichita State and Central Arkansas are the last two wins the Tigers have had. They have not won a game in 2024. They are 1-16 in their last 17. It's bad right now. It is really, really bad. I don't need to harp on that. For Tigers fans, you know how bad it is. Uh, You feel good about the way the football season went. Basketball, though, it's tough uh, to put on a smiling face here when you don't have a conference win. I think, you know, basketball's weird. Odds sometimes never go the way you think they will. And they can grab some some random win that you don't expect them to. They're not going to be favored in any of those games, though. And right now it feels like they are... Uh, definitely destined to finish dead last in the SEC this year. 8-18 and on the season. They have a rivalry game against the Arkansas Razorbacks coming up at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Tip-off will be on ESPN2. That'll wrap up hour number one of our two-hour show tonight. When we come back, we'll be joined by our good buddy Joel Penfield of the KC Sports Network and co-host of One Royal Way. We will finally be talking some Royals coming up next on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Shorten edition of the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am your host, Jack Johnson, Beckett Rasmussen, and Kyle Collier back there doing some great work on the board. And as we are joined every single Tuesday, 
Or it's, Thursday. Or Thursday, I guess we could say. It's Joel Penfield, the KC Sports Network and co-host of One Royal Way. Joel, how are we doing tonight? Doing fantastic. We actually get some like a full half hour, at least, of baseball. Yeah. Uh, how about that? We've made it through the long, cold winter. Obviously, some great football. And I love talking about football. I love talking about all these sports. This is my favorite time of year. This yes. is what I love. And for the next you know six, seven months... Um, it's all Royals, it's all baseball, and I'm excited. And, and I think th- what we were so blessed with is that there were things to talk about with this team throughout the offseason. Yes, and going into the offseason, I didn't think that was going to be the case. No. They completely flipped it on its head. We talked about this m- multiple times. It was like, do we think anything's actually going to happen? We both were kind of like, there'll be like one move that they can hang their hat on. And it, like I honestly thought when they got Lugo, like that was going to be their move and say, mm-hmm. okay, it's been a day. It's been a day. We We can... Be all right with Seth Lugo as the number one. And they could have gone back to the you know fans and said, hey, we did spend money. We did spend a very uh, exorbitant amount of money. It had an expensive deal for a starting pitcher. You guys wanted that, and we gave you that. Until they just added seven or eight new guys to this team. And when you get to spring training, I get it. Everybody has optimism. I'm sure there are Oakland A's fans that will convince themselves of optimism, of, hey, we've done it before with a small budget. We can do it again. Everybody does. Last year, I had optimism. So that doesn't change. But I also think there is some there is some power behind it now of we can have a conversation because of the state of this division and what the Royals have done and said, it's going to take a lot still. That, that Let's not get lost in this. We're not going to be sitting on the airwaves here and going, this is a 95-win team. No, we're not saying that. But now you can actually squint and see a way this team can be very fun for the entire season. It may not result in a playoff berth. But all I'm asking for is March 28th to that final series in Atlanta. There is reason to watch this team. Not for, hey, it's fun to watch Bobby Wood Jr. It's fun to watch Cole Reagan's pitch. I want to be able to buy a ticket in August and go, this game means something tonight. They need this one, which we haven't been able to do for a number of years now. This is a much more viable baseball team, 1-26, to than -hmm. we've had in the last few years. And I understand what they did last year. Uh, with the true about like the true bare bones yeah. evaluation of what they had in house, plus or minus a couple of guys, and it obviously was a disaster. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'll call it what it is. It was a bad baseball team to watch, but you saw some of the light at the end of the tunnel toward the end of the year of guy Bobby Wood Jr. breaking out made it makes it a lot more palatable. Cole Reagan's in a trade comes over immediately. You realize we have a solid foundational rotation yes. piece right here makes it a lot more palatable. And then a guy like Michael Garcia and uh, Michael Massey kind of comes on at the end. Mm-hmm. MJ Melendez the second half. Um, Nelson Velasquez in the trade. Yeah. And you're like, okay, we have a little bit here, but we've got to add more. We can't just sit with what we have. And credit to J.J. Piccolo, John Sherman for opening the pocketbook and going, hey, mm-hmm. we, we can't do this again. Like We can't yeah. sit around and be terrible. The division is there for the taking. We're not going to take it over right now, but if we can build on this year kind of being the – bridge, gap year, whatever you want to call it, and then going into 2025, you have a chance like, okay, we can win the division this year with a couple more moves, or if we're able to keep a couple of those guys on those player options, then we we have a much more viable roster for at least two seasons. And I think that's all you can ask for, at least where the Royals are at right now. Uh, You know what's uh, funny about doing a Royals segment is we, 15 seconds ago, just got breaking news. What do we got? Royals signed Austin Nola for some catching depth. 
Okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, and that's after they already brought in Sandy Leone. A one-year deal pending a physical. It's a major league deal. Major okay. league deal. Uh, so that is interesting. Okay. That also brings up a question now of Freddie Fermin. Are they going yes. to roll with three catchers on this roster? Or could this spell something for Freddie Fermin? It, it could. That's really interesting. Because um, I thought I thought Freddie Fermin acquitted himself very nicely last year as a backup catcher. I mean, he had a way to run straight plus over 100, I believe, mm-hmm. which there weren't many catchers in all of baseball, qualified or not, that, that did that. So thought maybe that could be the guy. It's not like necessarily that he's the heir apparent, but that is interesting. I, I don't know what to make of it quite yet because Austin Nola hasn't been at least. I know I know that he is all just a defensive catcher. He is yeah. a a guy that he's one of those. Yeah, he guys. had a thirty eight way to runs created plus in the last year. Now that was in fifty two games. In, back in twenty twenty, he had a one twenty seven between Seattle and. I remember he was a part of that big trade in San Diego. Trade, yep. Um, very interesting here. Uh, I am trying to break this down myself. I thought, you know, what was funny is one of the guys that did have my eye on this offseason was like an Austin Hedges, you know, bringing a guy that's just there for yeah. the, like, he can have his one pitcher. You know, we've seen teams do that now. Like, one starter has their guy. Um, I remember, oh, who was it for um, Chicago and San Diego as well? You uh, oh, um, Darvish has his guy. Who is that catcher? I'm uh, Victor, Victor, Caratini. Victor Caratini has his guy. Right, so I wonder, is this a Walker or Lugo thing? Lugo thing because that's where Austin Nola was. That's last a really year. good point. I so didn't, I hadn't considered. I, that. I'm kind of going on the fly now. Yeah, uh, if that I, was. So I think what it means more likely is, um, what's his name? Logan Porter is strictly AAA depth at this point. Like he's not going to get a cup, another cup of coffee. Maybe. Maybe they, this could because they're going to have to make a corresponding move because the forty's full, I believe. It is. So this could be a Freddie Fermin trade or something along those lines, um, or they do rock with three catchers and it's a competition of some sort. I was going to say that. I and see, here's the tough thing about Freddie is Freddie Fermin is coming up on thirty. You know, and I think that you can take into account what he did last year. I was very impressed with Freddie Fermin. There's also now a book on Freddie. And that could be factored in of, okay, Freddie's not going to play that much. Okay, hold on. I just saw this. I, I pull up Austin Nola's page on Fangraphs. He still has an option. Mm, so, so it could be, be a true depth thing. That you, the problem is he's 33, so I think he can reject an assignment. So you got to consider that as well. Well, now this is interesting. Ken Rosenthal reports minor league deal. Okay. So this could be uh, a move. <laughs> this could be uh, something we have to dissect. I didn't know we'd be talking about an Austin Nola deal uh, at the very first part of our show, uh, but I can segue it into this. Whenever you're on the radio, you have to go on the fly with stuff like this. Oh, and then Rosenthal just corrected and said it is a major league deal. Oh. So Andy Rogers was correct that it is a major <laughs> oh my league deal. God. Okay. So we are losing our freaking minds over here about Austin Nola coming to Kansas City. And this type of deal and what it can mean. What I will tell you this, and what I was able to gather a little bit in surprise, and I think it is important with a deal like this for a guy that caught last year, at least a handful of times for Michael Walker and Seth Lugo. Will Smith was kind of this lead recruiter in the offseason. He was this guy that when he was signed, 
He went to J.J. Bacolo and said, who else do you need? Who else do you want? I'll, I'll start making calls right now and get people here because I can convince people to come here. And he gets on the phone with Chris Stratton. He you know, has some conversation with Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo, by the way, said in surprise there were five teams he was seriously considering, and the Royals always felt like the best fit to him. And that's a, a change of things. Yeah. Now, because a team that just lost 106 games – typically isn't the best fit for a pitcher. Now, maybe the Royals have said, here's a little extra cash that we're going to give you at an extra year, which I'm sure Lugo wanted. But this kind of goes back to what I think a move like this with Austin Nola means. Constantly, the Royals are listening to their players and going, hey, we can let's get this guy in here. It's, it's kind of like this, this great assembly of guys. Like You're playing pickup, and you're just like, hey, I got a buddy. I got yep. a buddy that can come play. He's really good. He's really good. And he can come play. I, I've always loved playing with him. And, and we've seen that. There's this Mississippi State connection, by the way. I don't know if you knew about this. Chris Stratton, Adam Frazier, Hunter Renfro, all Mississippi yeah, State I didn't Bulldogs. realize that. I knew Renfro was a Mississippi State guy. I didn't realize the other yeah. two ones. Another thing that I, I hadn't considered as well, maybe this means that we'll see a more of a rotation between Salvi and Fermin and Nola catching Salvi's probably DHing a little bit more. It could mean that, and a backup first base spot. Mm-hmm. Salvi plays a little more first base, DH catches some. Yes, and then you have Freddie Fermi and Austin Nola probably taking not the bulk of the catching, but you know they catch it, more than like twice a week. Yeah, I, I I do like this new approach though too. I love that the Royals for years we remember Joel were just so stuck in the Stone Age because. Unlike a lot of teams, they had success in a little a portion of the Stone Age. Yes. You win a World Series title and you go, who are you to tell me to change? I know how this works. I know how to build I know a what team. To win. I know and, what can win. Yeah. And, and you saw this like a coaching staff. Like the Royals now have three hitting coaches. That's, that's new in baseball. That, that's good for baseball. You've got different minds working together. They have two pitching coaches. Brian Sweeney and Zach Bove, they work together. The pitchers really like it. And that's why I think the Royals now, and I think more so under J.J. Piccolo, a guy that everybody was willing, willing to just you know put on the stake, basically, and say, no, you are just like Dayton Moore. You're not going to turn this team around. And in a couple of months this offseason, really, in my opinion, his first true offseason, this is nowhere near the way the Royals, Royals operated for years on end. I mean, it was just they. Even when they were winning, Joel, they didn't spend a lot of money. No, they were like they committed it, what a hundred nine million dollars mm-hmm. to free agents this year, and that's not including the money that they're going to get the Bobby Wood Junior. as yes. well. It, it's a different era, and I think obviously at the end of the day, for a lot of people listening, you could say, "Well, hey, why don't we start talking positively about this team when they win games?" You know, because and, and, and I get it. Like we've been yeah. burned by this before by the we by have. the optimism and the hopium of. Mm-hmm. what this season can be because it's a 162-game season. Anything can happen. We've seen teams come out of nowhere, like the Texas Rangers going from winning less than 70 games to a World Series title. Like It's been done. Mm-hmm. But we've had this for a few years of this is the, the gap year. This is the year we're going to kind of bridge into the playoffs. We've been talking about that since 2020. Yeah. So I understand the let's wait and see. I'm kind of in that mode. But with the way that the ro- the complexion of the roster has changed so significantly mm-hmm. that it gives me a little more reason for, okay, I think this is actually the year. And I said that last year and I said the year before. Mm-hmm. I, I, actually, I, I really believe it this time. Like, this is the team that's going to start that turnaround just a little bit. It's not going to be drastic. Yeah. And, like, I, I hope when, when I say that to people, 
Like that means I think the Royals can win like seventy four games. Yeah. Which on its face still is not good. Nearly a twenty but win improvement. It's, it's an eighteen win improvement from what they did last year, which is substantial. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's a, a second half where everyone stays healthy, yeah. plays together, they all kind of gel. A couple hot months, out, you know, down the stretch, it may not start great. Just the, the way the, the schedule is brutal to begin the year, so don't don't get your hopes up mm-hmm. in April. But if August September, kind of what they normally do and play well down the stretch, yeah, guys go. No, I think we can build something here. I, mm-hmm. I think this can. I think this can work. Maybe Walker stays. Maybe Renfro stays. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have a couple of these guys stick around, or maybe Will Smith wants to come back on yeah. another deal. Like there's a lot of these guys have options. Yes, yeah, so I think there's a lot to like with where the Royals have it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they still got to win it on the field. You can't win the off season uh, yeah. as we've seen with the San Diego Padres have done the last few years. You can win the offseason, but it's not going to translate to wins. They still got to find a way to do it on the field, too. You know, I, I'm i going to sound crazy for saying this, because I don't know if I've ever said it over the air when we've had our, our Royals segments. But, Joel, I almost think when you're going through a rebuild, you kind of need to go one or two ways, and it can't be in the middle for the reason the Royals had the offseason they did. I think they were either hoping last year. Of course, there was a lot to build on. Maybe you win 75 games with that group, and you go, wow, a lot of less holes to fill than we need. And as crazy as this sounds, I almost think the second best option was to have what happened. Because then it forces the hand. If they won 70 games last year, I think they wouldn't have been as aggressive. I don't think they would have gone after two new starters, six new bullpen guys, you know, multiple pieces of the lineup where you're just piecing together this team because they could have said, well, come on now. They won 70 games. Let's add a couple of guys and let's get up to 80. Like this, they had to be so drastic with their change, it had to happen immediately. And that, to me, is why when you are rebuilding, you kind of needed to go one or two ways because of the way the draft lottery system is now. Correct. There is no more 106-loss team that's guaranteed the number one overall pick. Cleveland, who finished third, is picking first. And they're going to get a J.J. Weatherholt or a Travis Bazana out of Oregon State, who I saw in surprise, two home runs in the game that I was right there yeah, watching really in person. Really uh, a ridiculous player. And that's where now, in baseball, as much as I hate the way the Royals got screwed in the lottery, it's forced their hand. They had to do this. They, they, their back was against the wall. Everybody's going, new stadium? Are you kidding me? For a 106-loss baseball team? I'm not for it. And the Royals said, well... Uh, we're going to have to start building a winner on the field. And the team, I constantly go back to, the team I really hope the Royals can just duplicate their season was Miami. Last year, Miami did enough in free agency. They had more of a young core. They didn't have a Bobby Witt Jr., I can tell you that. But they got that next step from Jesus Lazardo. They got that next step from Yuri Perez. Their bullpen stabilized. You know, even like Jazz Chisholm was banged up in the year, but they had... Soler, Soler was Soler good. was great. Uh, Brian De La Cruz was good. Jesus Sanchez. Um, right, Jesus yeah. Sanchez. Uh, then they had like a Gene Segura there. They, they had um, a Garrett Cooper at first base. They had these guys that it was like, that's not a great team, but they, they just kept winning. Like they, they kept winning, got to... I think it was 85, 86 wins. And by the way, in the division with the Braves and the Phillies. Yeah. That's not a, That's not what's going on with the Royals here. Their toughest competitor is Minnesota, who we know is very hit and miss in terms of you put the expectation on them, they fall back a little bit. Then you kind of ride them off, they're really good. And maybe too many people are riding them off because they think Detroit's gotten a lot better, Kansas City's gotten a lot better. I'm so in wait-and-see mode with Detroit because I've heard this for a couple of years yeah. now, and I'm like, 
The offense isn't good enough, I don't in know. my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know. And you saw the health of, health of their pitchers to consider as well. Cleveland, I mean, you can't doubt them because they're going to pitch their way to probably 80-some-odd 80, 80 yeah. wins, but I don't know if they're going to hit enough outside of Jose Ramirez. And then the White Sox are going to be a just a, a Roy, 2023 <laughs> Royals-type disaster. I mean, they are. The, the, the 2019 Royals is who they oh, are. They yeah, just yeah. got everybody on that. I'm surprised they didn't give Whit Merrifield a deal. Um, but to that point about Miami, like it can go your way. And they stayed healthy for the most part all season long. And the rotation, you know, when you get a Jesus Lazardo, a 200-strikeout guy, uh, you get somebody like Yuri Perez, who was ridiculous, and you keep piecing together this rotation, hey, it can happen. And that's why I look at the Royals and see some similarities. And honestly, there's some spots, Joel, with this offense that I like more than Miami's. I like Vinny at first more than what Miami had. I like Bobby Wood Jr. at short. I like Michael Garcia at third. And if you can get these guys, right, these acquisitions, the bullpen needs to be really good for what they've invested into it. Uh, maybe not best in the AL, but if you're like in the fifth to sixth range in the AL, I think that's doable. And then you're going to need an MJ Melendez, a Kyle Isbell, a Michael Massey to get to that point where the Royals believe they can. Because last year, you know, Massey's hitting 140 in May. Kyle Isbell can't stay healthy, not hitting a ton. MJ Melendez was un- lost his approach at the plate, basically. And then you're just piecing together guys in right field. And you can't really find the right fit there. And we all knew this would happen in an evaluation year. But to me, I start to look at the optimistic side and I go, okay, what if Waka and Lugo recreate their last season and they give you 20 more innings? What say Cole Reagans actually is the fifth or sixth best pitcher in the AL? Let's say Brady Singer bounces back, and then that bullpen stabilizes. Then I start looking at what Miami did and go, why not somebody like Kansas City? I know that Miami wasn't coming off 106 losses, but you can't tell me they were a great team. They had, they had fired their manager. Skip yeah. Schumacher was in year one, so this was not a good team. And then they just made the right moves in the offseason. They stayed healthy. The toughest division in baseball, and there they were in the playoffs. They got roundhouse kicked by Philly. But if you're telling me right now the Royals get into the wild card round and get their teeth kicked in by a New York, but they got to play playoff baseball and get, uh, they, I don't think they got one playoff game because they play all three games on the road. Yeah. But get smoked by New York, I, that's playoff baseball. I mean, I, I will say that if the Royals make the playoffs, that's the hundredth percentile outcome. Absolutely. Like I, I think clo- I think you're. 50th percentile outcome is probably in the range of 70 to 74 wins. Uh-huh. I think that's realistic. And then anything above that's gravy. Yeah. Like, I think if they can just hit where I think they can be around that 72, 72 to 74 range, I think it's a, a success of a season, especially if you're doing it and everybody's healthy. Like, that, and that's the big key. I mean, that's the key for all of baseball, really. But uh, there, are, there are things in place right now with what Kansas City has done to be able to Stay, you know, if they can stay healthy, I think they've done the right things to be able to be a much more viable competitive team into the All Star break. It may fall apart, but who knows? But I just don't want everyone to give up on the season yeah. on April thirteenth. It's a and, brutal schedule. Yeah, and the the schedule is brutal at the beginning it's of the year. It's gonna be cold. So if the Royals are are ten and twenty two, you know, in the first month month and a half of the year, yeah, like it is what it is. Like this, we never expected this team to be that good. It was mm-hmm. just okay. Just build on this. Just you know, keep building, keep trying to stack some wins, so that 
we can at least go into 2025 going, okay, can this team make the wild card? Because I think it's a realistic outcome if they hit their reasonable expectation. You know, I, I go back to that win total of 74. Uh, that was the total the Royals had in 2021. We remember they kind of went out there and spent a little bit, brought in Benintendi, brought in Carlos Santana, brought in yeah. Mike Miner. And, and that's why, Joel, almost I feel like they got to get more than 74, don't they? I mean, they're, they are. I haven't seen them play a game yet, right? Tomorrow's going to be their first game. I mean, you were uh, boots on the ground, so you, you caught a little bit of it. But I think yeah. that's just because I'm trying to stay grounded re- grounded and reasonable. I, I think that's true as well. And, and that should be where I'm at. Um, I just look at that 2021 roster and go, the rotation was not good. The bullpen really wasn't that good. I know they had their piece. That was when Barlow was fantastic, had a pretty good year from Stallmont. They had some guys yeah. that really made that back into the bullpen much better. But overall, it wasn't that impressive of a team. And I look at this one just on paper and go, better than 74. And that's where it's like if they won 72, I'm not throwing a fit. 90 lost season with what they did, I'd feel a little bit let down. But again, it's also spring training right now. Uh, there could come a point in time where after they're just competitive and they maybe bought them out in September, like they're six games back and then just lose their ass off in September. I'm like, okay, 72 and 90 wasn't as bad as I thought it was. But I just look at, man, if they can get to that, you said 70 to 74. I'm like, if they can get to 76, 78, that's where I'm like, this this was a success. So I, and I think part of the reason why I'm being a little, I don't think I'm being pessimistic saying 74. Because, again, it's 18 wins more than they had last year. Like, yeah. I thought they'd get to 74 last year. Mm-hmm. And that was dead by April 9th. That I was, was like, this is yeah. not going to happen. Uh, so I think I'm just trying to stay a little bit, like, just don't... I'm trying not to get my don't heart ripped out. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't, I'm not trying to drink the Kool-Aid. Like, I'm, I'm sipping on it a little bit because uh-huh. I think they've made the right moves to be a viable baseball team, but I'm not going to dive in headfirst into it until I see it on the field after the first couple of weeks of April and kind of be able to assess where we're at and uh-huh. how we think this can go. I almost, too, I, I like the challenge in April uh, because really, not to, I'm, again, I hate making excuses for, like, scheduling or, or like, I remember last year I did that. I was like, that schedule was really, really tough. That's why they were so bad. And the team ended up being really bad. It ended up being horrible, yeah. Okay, so for people listening, if you don't know what this is going to look like for the Royals, they open the year against the Twins, and then they'll play. Oh, that's just the home schedule. Hold on. It's the Twins. I know that. Then Baltimore. Then I think Chicago twice in two weeks. Uh, they'll get a Milwaukee somewhere sprinkled in there. They get a... So, yeah, so it's the Twins, and then they go to Baltimore, home for four against the White Sox. That feels pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and then they got Houston at the Mets, and then at the White Sox, Orioles, Blue Jays. And then you're at the Tigers, and then at Blue Jays. Yeah. And that is, that's a tough first month outside of the White Sox. Like, yeah. that is, yeah. I mean, those are playoff or fringe playoff teams. Now, the Mets might be a disaster. I, I'm, I'm going to hold my breath there. Oh, and then you get the Rangers first week of uh, mm-hmm. coming to town, and then the Brewers. <laughs> Who are still going to be fairly viable? I I think there is a lot to gain there as well, though. Yeah, I, I think like, it'd be a it's a great litmus test for you, like the way you think this season could go and the way I think it could. Yes, and I almost I love the fact that 
that first road series is Baltimore, a place they got mollywopped last year. I don't oh, know if you was, remember that oh, series. Yeah, that was bad. that was because Vinny had just gone the injured list. Oh like, my yeah, lord! Was, hand to bad. God, that was the worst series of the year. Maybe next to Miami. And Miami it was more so they were dropping pop ups and they didn't score like at all in that series. That Baltimore game was like watching a varsity versus JV squad. Yeah. I mean, I mean. That was when Jackson Cora gave up the 485-foot home run to Gunnar Henderson. Uh, just across the board, that was the biggest ass-kicking they took all season long. And that's why I love road series. They'll see Corbin Burns in that series. And it's just this great test. It'll be a rocking, sold-out crowd. Baltimore's got a lot of juice. This should be fun. This should be a lot of fun. I'm very excited for the start of baseball. The Royals will have their first game tomorrow in regular season. I mean... Now we are a month and six days away, a month and a week away. I love it. I love it. It is, it is so exciting. And you get to kind of take a step back, breathe a little bit easier. You know, Chiefs football, you get the Super Bowl. You're not panicking every single Sunday. And if the Royals can just keep it entertaining all the way through the summer, think about having two sports teams that are that are faring well. I, I just want to have something to cheer for before football season starts. There you go. Like that. That's what I need. Like give me baseball into like, you know, Decent baseball into training camp, training yep. camp, some good baseball, then preseason, then it, we dive into football. Uh-huh. And we're right there with, you know, it, it just seamlessly flows in rather than on April 3rd, we're like, man, mock drafts, let's start doing that because yep. this is not fun. I know a lot of people are going to be just looking to the, the NFL draft right now. I don't blame you. I don't you. blame you. You're a football guy, but if you're a baseball guy, I know you're very excited uh, for Royals baseball, at least with the optimism they've built up so far uh, throughout the 2023-2024 offseason. But the breaking news in the midst of Joel and I just talking, the Royals added another free agent. They're going with a backup catcher in Austin Nola, who was in San Diego last year, with Michael Walker and Seth Lugo. Major league deal there. So what does that mean for Freddie Fermin? Uh, maybe Freddie starts in AAA. Maybe a trade's coming. We don't know. But once again, J.J. Uh, Bacolo and J.J. Bacolo and friends, we can call them, uh, going out there and adding another player, a completely revamped team. You you wouldn't even recognize him if you looked at last year's opening day squad to this one now. Okay, we are going to pivot to a little bit more of a fun segment to close out tonight's show. Just a quick two-hour show will be done at 8 o'clock here. We're sitting here with Joel Penfield of the KC Sports Network. Beckett Rasmussen back there on the board, as well as Kyle Collier. You are listening to The Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Final 20 minutes of the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Beckett Rasmussen and Kyle Collier. And as we are joined every single Tuesday or Thursday, for that matter, from 7 to 8, it's Joel Penfield of the KC Sports Network and co-host of One Royal Way. Go give them a follow on all of those podcasting platforms. We just talked uh, some Royals baseball. There was one thing I forgot to ask you about, and I would have kicked myself if I didn't. Um, Any lasting thoughts? on the career of Eric Hosmer, who called it quits. He won a World Series. And then he left Kansas City and made a lot of money. And, you know, credit to him for getting a trip. Shout out to Scott Boris for pulling the greatest heist of all time in San Diego. Like, I don't mean to dunk on Eric Hosmer, because yeah. obviously he's well-liked in this city, and he helped deliver a championship. But his career was not that great. <laughs> I Wow, I, I, didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know which way you were going to take it. But uh, I will say this. Um, I think Eric Hosmer of those 14 and 15 teams 
was not the best player. He was not. No, it, it was Lorenzo Cain. It was Lorenzo Cain. But I will also say this. He was the face. He was the icon. That is he very is true. Like, when yes, yes, when yes. the Royals played in a visiting city, an opposing city, they recognized Eric Hosmer. And I know that analytics changed a lot about the game. Back in the mid-2010s, there were a chunk of people because the Royals were good, and Eric Hosmer had really good eye test numbers, that it was, this is one of the best first basemen in baseball. He was an all-star. He was an all-star. He won a gold glove all the time. It was like, it looked good. And then when analytics came out and they said he wasn't a great defender and he didn't hit the ball in the air enough, it, it really took a lot of the value away for a lot of guys. But I would say this, you know, in terms of iconic players for that team, God, I'd have to say he's number one. In terms of the, the biggest moments, the two-run yeah. home run uh, against the Astros in Game 4. Um, he also had that RBI hit in that big eighth inning uh, against the Astros. He had the, the hit in Game 6 of the LCS to drive in Kane from first. He had the walk-off the in Game dash, 1. The yeah, mad dash. Like, I- iconic. And, and that's where, you know, I put him and Alex Gordon uh, kind of hand-in-hand a little bit, of not in terms of the player, but in terms of what their career meant to the franchise. That's fair. And iconic That's moments. Like, I'm not going to look at either of those guys and be like, that was one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. No. no. Like, he, what he meant to those teams, I mean, you can't almost quantify it in ways. And I know that was part of the reason why <laughs> Scott Boras got him $144 million. Yeah. But he was that guy in the clubhouse that kind of rallied the troops. And he was a bit, he was such a big part of that team in, in multiple ways that, I mean, you, you can't, you can't say enough good things about what he was. He, he's a Royals Hall of Famer. Yeah, like he's oh, going right. to get the. I bet he gets a similar type ceremony that Lorenzo got um, has this to, past has year. To. He'll get something like that. Um, I think he'll always be beloved in this city for for delivering that championship and doing it the way that they did with all those young guys. Um, but I do think that a decent swath of baseball fans will think more about the career post Kansas City more than, and that's what I hate, and more that's than what, what I he hate did because he got city. the big money, and I he I got remember, the big money, and he was bad. He was really well liked, and, and that's unfortunately in any sport that's what happens. It is, yeah, yeah. When guys don't make a lot of money and they're good, it's like love this guy, and, and you're going to be like, oh, that guy is underrated. Like right now, for example, like I hate to say it, like Bobby Witt Jr. has to be as good as he was last year, or better this year, because then people are going to go, oh, he got the big money. He's not as good as you think. Mm-hmm. He's not as good. Now I think that Bobby Witt Jr. is going to translate just fine. But see, that's what this is going to sound like a. A high school baseball coach, actually. Uh, this is going to sound very cliche. Like, he was the leader, man. He was the leader. And I think that that is something you take into account of a baseball player, ones that lead and ones that follow. I think Eric Hosmer was a really good leader, and everybody would say that. And there's going to be people listening that go, oh, great. He was a leader, um, but he wasn't the best player. I'm not I, saying. I, I think it matters. Like It, it, does, it does matter. And it, that's the one thing that you can't put into an Excel, Excel spreadsheet. Like, yes. I have, I am very kind of. I kind of flow between that kind of old school, yeah. You know, the, the game well. is played on the field, and but there's a you know analytics matter and the data and information matter, and there's some things that the old school can't do with the new school, and vice versa. And I think that's one of those things that Hosmer brought was that kind of old school, you know, rally the troops guy. Yep. But he was a good ball player in his you know in his early twenties. Like, yeah, it, it wasn't you know it, it's ironic because you know he had a great year. In 2015 and 14, he wasn't that great. No, and they and he, but he was still that guy that rallied the troops down those last couple of months. And 
got them to that wild card game and got them to the World Series. You know, I, I think there's been four players in the franchise's existence, and this is the last thing I'll say, then we'll hop onto a fun segment to close out the show. There's been four players since 2000 that have been drafted and given immediate, immense expectation that was a little bit unfair to them. I go back to Zach Granke. When Granke was drafted, he was this messiah. Oh, he is the starting yep. pitcher to take us back to the promised land. He is the Brett Saberhagen. He is the Kevin Apier. He is going to be that guy, that ace. Now, credit to Zach. He was. The team just sucked. The team was terrible, but he won a Cy Young. He was an all-star. He was the guy when you played the Royals. As I keep saying, you went, oh, at least Zach Granke's pitching. I don't really know the other guys, but Zach's pitching. Second guy was Alex Gordon. Alex Gordon, because of being a great college player at Nebraska, and because simply he played third base, Royals fans said, that's the next George Brett. Really? Before he's picked up a bat in a big league game? He's being compared to the best player in this franchise's existence, a Hall of Famer. That was unfair. Gordo was a great player. He never was George Brett. The third guy, well, let me start with the fourth guy. Fourth guy's Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt Jr. was given that expectation because he was drafted when the Royals were not winning, and it was, he's the savior. He's going to be the guy. And so far, already got an MVP votes before he's age 25 season. There's only been one MVP in this city uh, for baseball, and that was George Brett. The third guy to me was Hosmer. I know he was the first of that young group. To come he was. Up. He was one of Dayton's first draft picks, and I remember uh, that first game very well. That debut, the get-in price for Kaufman was really high. It was sold out. Uh, I believe least close to a sellout. Oakland was in town, and they made it a whole ordeal. Like Haas mm-hmm. was debuting, he was this guy that was just ripping minor league pitching to shreds, and here he was. He was like all all you had heard about in the years of losing. Once Hosmer gets here, once Bustakis gets here. I mean, he was, like I said, kind of that face of the 09 minor league class that was considered one of the best baseball I'd ever seen. But unlike a Giovatella, a Mike Montgomery, a Will Myers, a you know, John Lamb, you know, a Christian Cologne, as much I love Christian Cologne, I have a Christian Cologne jersey. Hosmer kind of took on that pressure and expectation, knew it, wore it. And was like, I'm I'm going to be the guy. And even though he wasn't the best player, like you said, all-star, all-star MVP, um, gold glove winner, World Series. Like, I, I think when it's all said and done, for a franchise like this, you know, not as decorated as New York, not as decorated as San Francisco, as Boston, it's a damn good career. But you are right that I think a large chunk of baseball fans will just look to Hosmer in the Padres days and go, he actually wasn't that good at all because he really tailed off after that 17 season. And that's unfortunate, but I also want to say this. Good for him to know when it's time to walk away and to have something lined up and something he seems very invested in. That Moonball podcast with Peter Moylan, and, and yeah. that, that should be fun. I'm actually excited for that because he also is a very personable guy. Yes, he, he charismatic. Yeah. I think he's going to kill it in the podcast. Not everybody deserves to have a podcast in terms of a former athlete. <laughs> like I think that you know somebody can have a podcast and like start it up, but it's like, do you really have a lot to say? Like for a player wise, I mean, right? I, you know, there's a lot. I, we both do podcasts. It's yes. like there could be somebody who'll go on. They don't deserve a podcast. They're just a fan. They're just a person in media here. But for players, like some guys can talk, some guys cannot. Correct. Hosmer's one of those guys that can talk. So I'm good for him. Uh, I know a lot of people in Kansas City that you know love those days of him playing, got a World Series ring, and an iconic player. Uh, Joel, while we still have you here, our final 
10, 12 minutes of the show. Thought we could uh, wrap this up with some fun here. A fun segment called What's Grinding My Gears. You watch Family Guy, right? Yes. Yeah. What Grinds My Gears. I think we can start doing this to close out our segments because now there's not a lot of football to talk about. We'll talk draft and more Royals and college basketball, March Madness, stuff like that. But this, this seems one, like peak mid-July. This is. Gearing up for, kind of like we did with the hot take stuff last summer. Like it'll this, this feels like something like that. This is exactly what it's going to be. And what I'm going to ask of you, this can be sports-related. This doesn't have to be sports-related. I promise you. This, this can be anything you want of what grinds your gears. It can be... Your experiences as a fan, your experiences as a worker, your experiences as a family member, anything that comes to mind. Obviously, PG can't be cussing up a storm, dropping F-bombs here, but something that grinds your gears. What would it be? Okay, I got one because this has happened to me multiple times as I'm leaving. Because I work... Uh, 93rd Metcalf. So, like, I, okay. I work up here. And so, I, you know, I'm driving to, I always drive down Metcalf to 435 to get home. Mm. And there's a bunch of stoplights, obviously, on, on Metcalf. And, you know, whenever you're at the front of the, the line, you yes. know, you're at the, you're at the red light. What is a reasonable time, in your opinion, to give someone, like, the little courtesy tap on the horn of, like, hey, go, because yeah. they're not paying attention yeah. when the light turns green? Because I had somebody today, <laughs> lights green, I'm taking my foot off of my brake. Honked. And they honked at me. Like, not even a half second. I'm like, dude, I can't. Like, I don't have telekinetic powers to be able to go right away. I react just like you do, man. Uh, there are aggressive drivers out there, and maybe this guy or this woman was in a hurry. Um, but, but I am with you. I, I at times, get impatient, but I, I give a grace period of about... Three seconds. I give you yeah, three to five seconds. Three to five seems and, good. And it's it's a difference of are you reacting? Mm-hmm. Like if you're if we're at that third second, oh realize your brake you take your you know your brake lights come yeah. off and you go. But if you're just sitting there like okay no we're we're gonna tap mm-hmm. but to get not even I mean not even a half second just like yeah. lights green. I can't go anywhere. I got a good car one for you, and since I was down in Surprise, I think this is a a big gripe of mine. It's always been that way. You know when you go to games, and there's the people that will drive and stop attendance? Yeah. Like, in a line, where to go to, where do I park? I promise you, I've done it before. If I'm a a place I'm not familiar with, I roll down the window, and I say, excuse me, do you know where Lot B is? And they go, oh, it's right around here. Right? Cool. Going that way. I've never understood the people that'll ask twenty questions as they go there. Like we were at Surprise Stadium. This complex is not big. It's not there's there's two lots. There's nowhere you could go not that to hard. be like there's nowhere you can get lost in. Even if you parked in the wrong spot, you could walk to where you need to get to. And this person is just backing up five to six people. And like you could tell they were asking, but like not fully getting what the attendant was saying. They're like, oh, I'm supposed to go here, but and they're like, okay, yeah, go around there. And he's like, but I don't think I'm supposed to. I, I was told I'm supposed to go here. This I'm supposed to talk with this person. He's like, yeah, he's right around there. He's like, but should I? Will this be quicker, or will, when will this lot close? I don't know. And it was like, oh my, there's no way you had this many questions. Like, don't even drive Uber, Uber at that point. If you're worried about parking that much, and I see that all the time at Chiefs games and Royals games, I'm like, dude, go. I know you don't want to get stuck going some way, but I feel like if you really are unsure. Like, really, really unsure about where to park, where to go to. You have to plan that out before you leave. Yeah. Look at the parking map. Oh, I got to go this way. Oh, I hey, got to go to this ticket. It's people that don't pre-plan or, like, no. do any sort of, like, uh, like 
operational plan or anything. Maybe that's yeah. just because the way my brain works. Like I'm like, okay, I got to go here. Okay, I got to leave at this time. I'm going to go park here. I'm going to get here at this time. Like that's yeah. just how I operate. So the fact that some people don't do that, just <laughs> I, I don't understand it. Do you have another one here? Because um, I, I got one in the chamber if, I, if you want to get some time. I got one that's sports related. Okay. I'll go okay. to take this avenue. And I think the thing that bothers me, like, and I, Colin Coward says it all the time, and he, and to <laughs> his credit, he's someone that is willing to change their opinion. They're yeah. like, they, you know, when he says, when presented with new information, I change my opinion. Yeah. And so he'll admit, hey, I whiffed on this one. Yeah. This is. I was wrong. It's the people and the analysts that marry themselves to a take and don't come off it. Yeah. Even when presented with new information. And you can That's think, and you know exactly who I'm thinking of. Yes, I do. And it's just like, it, it just bothers me that, like, you can't be presented with new info, see someone be awesome that you didn't think was that good. And so, like, nah, I'm not convinced. Like, I, I just, it, it, bug, it bugs me as somebody that's like, hey, because I'll put myself out there sometimes or I'll have a tweet and I'm like, that that was stupid. Like, I whiffed yeah, on that one. You got to own up to it. I think I you have wish more, more people would own up. To, yes, because I have more respect for people that are like, hey, mea culpa, that was a bad one. But people that just continue to dig their heels in on stuff, it, I just I don't understand that mentality. But do you almost think that it's a ratings thing? Like, yes, if you like have somebody some, that is yes. like Skip Bayless, for that's, example. Yes, that's exactly the one <laughs> I, that I, I thought I knew where you were going. Yes, with yes. Uh, Skip it's, Bayless it's not just knows. him, but he's one of them. You know, and I think it's like the same thing with his cat. Like he is obviously a diehard Cowboys fan, and I know a lot of Cowboys fans. Um, my, my girlfriend's family and herself, Cowboys fan. Like they're from Texas, Cowboys fans, but they all know. It was Skip Bayless. It is a situation where he's going to die on the hill until you can't. Like when they lose, he's like, "Oh, I knew it. They weren't going to make it far." But then the whole time, he's like, "How about them Cowboys? They're go- they're going to win the Super Bowl." It's like, it- but people react to it, yeah. you know. So I'm, it's I all for wonder- engagement most of the time. It like is- I get, like when he was in when he talked about. I remember it was the it was the AFC Championship game last year against the Bengals. Yeah, when you know. Burrow decided, okay, am I going to throw to Jamar Chase or T. Higgins when I throw this next interception here? Yeah. And he just sneaks in like, oh, the Chiefs got like blah. Burrow outplayed Mahomes. Like, no, 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 we're not going to do this. Here. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. I know that you're the token Mahomes hater here. On he this, is. He is one on of this, those guys. On that network. But, hey, let, let's not let's not marry ourselves to that one. Yeah. They, I am curious this offseason what it's going to lead to um, in terms of the next hot take for Patrick Mahomes. I, I am wondering on that. And that probably oh, is going to be – you have one? <laughs> well, no, I listened to uh, – what was it? Uh, first thing – I watch First Things First every day. Okay. Um, and whenever they have Eric, and they kind of rotate guests during football season, it's usually like Greg Jennings and Eric Mangine. You're like the two people that join Kevin Wilds, Chris Broussard, and Nick Wright. Yes, yes. And Nick Wright asked uh, Mangini, who will cape for the Patriots and Brady any chance he gets. But it's like, okay, what can Tom do that Mahomes can't? Uh-huh. And with a straight face, Mangini said, well, I mean, Tom Brady came back from 28-3. to 3. I've never seen Mahomes do that. I'm like, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me, man. Like, what are we doing here? It's, it's moving the goalposts. It's, it, I, okay, I think that's the other one is goalpost moving. That yes, goalpost moving is, is one that really bugs me where it's like, no, 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 he didn't He didn't do this. Or, you know, I, I always thought, or I, I contemplated more so, I'm like, when Mahomes gets his third, uh, what is going to be the, the hang-up here? I remember when he won... The first and the second, it was like the officials gave it to him. 
Now the take is, well, his defense carried him. Oh, he's a checkdown merchant. He's a checkdown merchant. We've seen, uh, yeah, I saw the tweet of the average yard Warren per touchdown Sharp is pass. Such a joker, man. Warren, uh, it was the average yards per touchdown passes, and Mahomes was dead last. And I go, well, first was Tyrod Taylor. Are we saying that Tyrod Taylor is this elite, you know, deep ball thrower? It, <laughs> and that take just blows my mind because people. And two years ago, we were watching mm-hmm. it. We were like, he's got to learn to take what the defense gives yep. him. He keeps going for the kill shot. It's not going to work. He's got to adjust his game. And then he adjusts his game, becomes the best like short to intermediate passer in the league. Yes. Well, now he's just a check down version. He needs to push the ball down the field more. And that's, again, this is if you are not used to this, this is going to happen the rest of his career. Yep. Because we did the same everything. thing for Brady. Yes, we did. Uh, Brady won seven, and they, there's still people that are going to nitpick how he won. Oh, he didn't play that well. He won the ring. He won the ring. I don't care if the defense won. I don't. I don't care that he beat Jared Goff thirteen to three. He got the ring. I do I not care. Okay. I do not care about the takes of how can, you played in the Super Bowl. Can we take that to another angle? I know we're running short on time. Maybe this might. This might be maybe the discussion for next week. But the the count the rings and that is the end all be all. Yeah, it shouldn't be that thing. way. And but it is the. I think there is a direct correlation. And maybe this is just, I think it's a generational thing. We're making. Yeah. But it is like no one counted the rings with Kareem and Magic and Bill Russell. Bill Russell until Jordan won six. Mm-hmm. And was perfect. And, and was perfect. Even though he he played 18 years he, or 12, 16 years, he didn't play six. Yeah. He, he played more than that. There were, you know, many years he couldn't get out of round one, but hey, he won six titles. But then you criticize, it's like the this weird, like, mental gymnastics of, well, LeBron made it to 10 finals, or Mahomes made it to X Super Bowls well, but he lost one. So, obviously, that like that counts against him. But it, So, it would be better to lose in the conference finals yeah, because then you don't have the potential loss in the NBA finals, even though you got to the NBA finals or the Super Bowl or whatever. It's just a weird yeah. logic that I don't understand. It, it's, it just feels weird. Like I think Chiefs fans... And this may be like the the my last half grinding my gears. It's like you just have to embrace being the hated team. You you got to stop trying to convince others why Mahomes is great because it's the, the ones it that matter. hate him. The ones that hate him are always going to. Hate it goes him, back to my first, always. Yeah, it goes back to my first point. Exactly your your first point in this, and it's the same way that I remember when I was growing up. There were things I tried to do to make it seem like Brady was not that good. I'm like, oh, well, Rodgers has the MVPs. Rodgers has these incredible years. I'm like, well, I know ring counting is not the end-all, be-all, and it shouldn't be that. Uh, but this does feel very similar. In some extent, I know that some people have refuted this as well. Like, when you look at Jordan, Jordan's kind of the Brady, right? Uh, although not the longevity of their careers. Jordan played much shorter amount of time than Brady did. But it was like Brady, kind of the older generation, winning all those rings. It was like, that is what you shoot for. And Mahomes, not really the beginning part of his career, because LeBron didn't win that much in the beginning part of his career. He never got that ring. But it's like LeBron is so talented. And there's still people that are going to be like, no, he's not. He's not the best. He's like, there's people that put him like outside the top five. And that is going to become this talking point with Mahomes. Like, there are going to be those analysts and those talking heads out there that go, Patrick Mahomes is not a top five quarterback. He's not. He's carried by Kelsey. He's carried by Reed. There will always be something, Joel. He he will always have something. And it literally, it'll be until Andy Reed's gone, Kelsey's gone, he doesn't have a good offense, he doesn't have a good defense. And at that point, if he wins one, 
there still will be something else. Uh, it's, it's good. There's always going to be something. You and just think, have to embrace but, it. But it's some of it is because as much as we like watching greatness, we hate watching it. Mm-hmm. We hate people hate greatness. You get tired of it. You get tired of it. And I've already seen it talked about that people are people that cover the sports are like, okay, I don't want to see the Chiefs three peat. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to see him in there. Like because I want to see someone else. You want a new storyline, but it's like no, you don't, mm-hmm. because you know what's going to get more ratings. <laughs> yeah, if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl next year, it's because they're going to be going for the three peat. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the highest watched event in the history of sports. It will, just like this past year was, mm-hmm. because the Chiefs were going for back to back, and it's Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and all this other stuff. Yeah. People hate greatness, and it's why you people try and nitpick at it because they don't want to admit it. that is great. How quickly do you remember people hating the Warriors? How long did it take? It happened, yeah, two instantaneously. Years. It was instantaneous. And, and you know what's so funny about this, and why I think it's parallel? I think if there's any kind of beginning of a dynasty that makes the most sense in comparison, it's the Chiefs and the Warriors uh, because the Warriors. And remember this, like Steph Curry was doing things that was unbelievable. These 40-foot three-pointers draining him. And Mahomes doing, the, not the sidearms, I don't want to say that, because Matt Stafford was doing sidearm. You know, there were guys that had done the but sidearm. changing play, the game. Changing the game, how it's played, like this backyard football, and it was working. Right? Steph Curry was kind of changing the game. People were like, this is unbelievable. That was the first year of Mahomes. And then... Steph started winning, and it was, stop showing him, I don't care. ESPN is so infatuated with him, get Steph Curry off my screen. And it got so bad, remember, that people started hating on Aisha Curry. Yeah. And it was like, what is Aisha Curry doing? Same thing with Taylor Swift. It was like, stop showing her, I'm pissed, I'm mad. It's like, well, she's just watching the game. And it's like, that's the level of hatred every team aspires to be. Embrace it. What grinds my gears is people that don't want to embrace the hatred. Joel... Thanks so much, as always. Uh, We hope to see you next week right here in person for another hour. Absolutely. Always fun, man. I look forward to it every week. There's our guy, Joel Penfield of the KC Sports Network and co-host of One Royal Way. Uh, That is going to do it for another edition of the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Beckett Rasmussen, who did a great job debut here on the night shift for Beckett. No hang-ups, no problems, did a fantastic job. He's telling my ear. He's counting me down three minutes, two minutes, one minute. And he uh, played a banger coming in the second break. Song. I'm a yeah. huge Fallout Boy fan. So Beckett's already already killing it here. Uh, hope to have him more on the board moving forward. Kyle's had a long day. He's been here since 9, had to do the zone. He was helping out, uh, just doing a kick-ass job as usual. If you missed any of our show, just go on the podcast page. It is two hours tonight, 6 to 8. We talk some NFL. We talked some college hoops, we talked some royals, and we talked about what grinds our gears, which we may do a lot more moving forward. So any of that, just go to 810-WHB. Until next week, either Tuesday or Thursday, you take it easy, Kansas City.